Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use the code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. Hello, this is Grancho, the Pearl's Papagee. Welcome to Tell Greg Your Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. It's an absolute honor and a privilege to welcome onto the podcast Grant O. Uh, Grant is well-renowned for working for MTV in Japan, and he's worked with some of the biggest rock stars in entertainment industry. He's been in Shanghai for nearly 10 years now, and he's the co-owner of one of the biggest uh, entertainment theaters not only in shanghai but actually in china uh, where they have some of the best shows in the entertainment industry now grant has some amazing stories uh, with some of the biggest rock stars and he tells us all about the pearl and their shows this is part one of part two of my interview with grant O. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig Your Story at Podbean.com. We have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. We have a YouTube link there which has all the videos as well. Make sure you're subscribing. We have VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners. At Tell Craig Your Story. All right, here we go. This is part one of my chat with Grant O on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi, Grant. How are you going today? Good, good, good. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're a super busy man. 
So, first question that I like to ask with everyone, you survived 2020, uh, you know what, all what's happened uh, recently, so for you, how did you survive uh, that period? You know, the pool's one of the biggest entertainment in, in Shanghai, so tell us all about that. Well, for us, actually, surprisingly enough, 2020 was actually a great year for us. Right, right. Yeah, oddly enough, uh, with COVID, it kind of changed the whole dynamics of the entertainment industry, especially in Shanghai. I mean, thank God we're in China where the government and people followed the rules and kept <laughs> us safe. Yes. I mean, I can't imagine being anywhere else in the world. I'm so happy. And we've, we're really fortunate to be in China. Yes. This is where the, the government really did a good job. Yeah. But in our situation, luckily, also with the government, they've been really good to us. They've been very supportive of us and they warned us back in February last year while I was in Canada on Chinese New Year holiday right. that there'd be no foreign performers allowed in China within 2020. Wow. You know, so that's the thing they already knew back in February. They figured, no, especially entertainment, I understand is lowest on the on their priority list, but they had already decided in February that no foreign performers in China allowed in, in 2020. Wow. So luckily we we realized that um and so we protected our artists and our bands and even when we were struggling and when we could reopen you know we did whatever we could to pay their rents and you know put food on their table unfortunately most other venues they right away fired all their musicians sent them all home and now none of them can come back right you know no matter how much you're trying and we've been trying because we still have artists overseas and our tech people overseas right we just can't get anybody back it's been a year yeah but so for us, because we protected our, our team, um, when we were finally able to reopen, we had the show, you yeah. know, and a lot of people say you've got the main show in town and luckily kind of sort of that's the way it's been. Yeah. And the other, the other thing for us that's been really interesting is because there are no big touring groups, there are no big shows at Mercedes Benz, there won't be any big touring shows. By the way, we're told, we just got told last week that Again, no foreign performers will be allowed in China this year. Wow. And it might even be two more years before touring bands can come to China. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So, again, for us, well, we have a slight advantage. Right? Yeah. That's good for us. But, so, sorry, I was going to say, so without the big touring bands coming, the local Chinese are looking more internally for entertainment. Right. And so we've been told by Demai and the other ticketing agencies that live houses are doing really, really well. The Chinese live houses are doing, yes. are doing better than they've done in the past. And for us, because we, you know, we don't just do copy band type shows. We do, like, we're more of a, a show club. And so our band is such a hardworking band that they'll spend weeks and weeks and weeks to tailor a specific show where we'll do audio, we'll do visuals, we'll do all of these pieces. So when you come to a Pearl show, it's not just a bunch of guys going, hey, man, what do you want to play? Hey, man, yeah, they, let's try this. They've actually rehearsed and planned the whole show full on. Yes. Um, you saw the other night when we did Lincoln Park. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's intense. Oh, uh, yeah. And, the, and it's also the band's favorite music. Yes. I mean, they're all young guys, so they sometimes aren't happy with me when I say, hey, we have to do an ABBA show. <laughs> and that's something. Yeah. 
So that, that's when I let them rock it out to, you know, some Lincoln Park or Disturbed and all that yes. stuff. Where they, you see the intensity. That was great. Yeah. Packed, packed house. It was the first show of the uh, after the spring break. So I think everybody was like really keen <laughs> to get back into it, right? True, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what I could say, but we had like 286 on <laughs> I'm not sure if that followed the social distancing, but, but it was a hell of a good night. Yeah. Oh, you checked your thermometers and you did all the precautionary things, so yep. I think that was fine. And thank you very much for, for giving me the tour. It was great. Mm. Like you, you, you made me very welcome. So let's, let's talk about a little bit the history of, of the Pearl. Like mm. I found it very, very interesting to, when you were telling me about it. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, the building itself was built in 1931 as a Japanese Buddhist temple. Right. It's the sister temple of Skiji Temple in Tokyo. Right. Now, and apparently after World War II, when the Japanese were removed, that area where in the Japanese concession became an entertainment district. So there was movie theaters and clubs everywhere. There was apparently a really good red light district and whatnot. <laughs> um, as but, you do. <laughs> yeah, as you do. It wasn't just, you know, the French concession that was just opium dens. We had, the, it was apparently more fun and diverse where we were. Yes. Or that. Yeah, so after World War II, the, uh, the Pearl had been used as a live action theater, we're told. A movie theater in the 80s, it was a gym for working out. Yes. Somebody just the other day had a friend of a friend who told me he used to go there as a kid to play arcade games. Yeah, right. And that one I haven't heard before, and I'm yeah. actually trying to track him down because I want to find out some stories. Get some information about it. Yeah. yeah, and then I heard it was a really famous nightclub for a while, and then when we found it um, in 2008, it had been abandoned, and it had been closed for 10 years. It was an Egyptian-themed KTV club <laughs> right. when we found it, yeah. A bit out of the ordinary. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so at that point, I was an, invest I was an investor into a group uh, and they were called Chinatown. Uh, it was headed up by uh, Norman Gosney and his um, showgirl wife, uh, Amelia Kelman, who had kind of revitalized the whole burlesque movement in New York. Right. So from what I understand, he was at one point part of the limelight, the whole, that whole cathedral nightclub that was a seated crazy story. And after that, they were instrumental in starting like underground cabaret burlesque shows where they would literally just rent a garage and set up a couple lights and do some sexy, saucy shows. <laughs> right. And then eventually, I'm not totally sure of the story, but it sounds like that also then led into things like the Slipper Room right. in New York, which has been around for a long time. And yeah. my favorite place, whenever I go to New York, <laughs> right. me and the wife and that, I always have to hit the Slipper Room a couple nights. Yeah, right. But eventually they grew into a show called Chinatown that then performed in Vegas. Right. And then they decided to bring it all to Shanghai. Yeah, it was an amazing show. It was a full-on foreigner burlesque show, which then as they evolved, they also brought in Chinese artists and started to train them up. But burlesque in China was kind of a risque thing to do. And after the World Expo, it just, it just, the, it wasn't working. Right. It wasn't working. And Amelia and Norman made a sudden exit out of Ch Ch uh, Shanghai, and everything kind of fell apart from there, and I eventually just walked away. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was just where I saw I was going. It's like, yeah, I invested my money, had a good time, because I was there as a photographer. That's my main thing was I just shot all the pictures. I had nothing to do with operations. Right. But I had a blast and I had some great photos. Um, but, yeah, eventually you just have to see the 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 ship is sinking. It's <laughs> like time right. to walk away. Forget about the money. You had a good time. Yes. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. 
Wow. So that was Chinatown. And it, it was an amazing experience because it was the only thing like that at that time. And it was just every night was packed with all the, you know, the wealthy expats and everything else, which is a big thing that's changed now is we're talking 12 years ago when it was more the expats had all the big budgets and the money and the, the locals were still striving and working hard on their way up. Yes. Whereas now it's reversed. Now it's the locals have all the, the money and they're the ones out having fun and now it's expats are kind of like, eh, switch positions. Yeah, right. So it's a really interesting dynamic that I've been here to watch that whole change of things. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then uh, when did you come into like the pool? Like when did you start to be involved with the pool? Well, so the pool, the venue closed for about three years. And then Frank Bray, who was our headliner singer of Chinatown, right. who's a famous uh, Sinatra singer, and we, he performs all over Shanghai. He's performed all over the world doing Sinatra. Right. So it was actually him and a Canadian friend and business partner, uh, Glenn Thane, who Glenn has a liquor import company that I was an investor in already. Right. So these two got together and decided to give it another go as the Pearl. And their original opening show was they did a live action of Rocky Horror Picture Show with 16 actors. All right, yes. Yeah, and it was really successful. And, um, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is banned here, so I think they call it Rock on Horror or something like that. They named it. But what's funny was it was kind of banned here, so, of course, they were really worried about it, and they brought in government officials to watch it. And they all loved it and said, yeah, we approve. Go ahead. (laughs) And they came back three or four times later with other friends to enjoy the show right and yeah it was an, you know, an amazing amazing start and i i went to shoot the event as i always do yes but then i had a, i was with ferraris so i was off to, i think shoot the finale mondiale the final race in italy and so i was gone for two weeks and i came back and then caught the last couple shows and that's when they kind of approached me and going, hey, Grant, do you want to come back in? We know you lost a bundle, <laughs> but would you want to? And I said, yeah, let's give it a sh- another go. On the conditions? On what? On the conditions of, like, like your terms, right? Or No, and no, I just, I, I came in as, again as a photographer. The only right. thing I requested, which was the problem I had with Chinatown, was when they sold me on investing yeah. it was supposed to be a creative space right that we would do like theater we would do you know develop music we would do this we would do that but once they had my money it was only burlesque and only their team it was under their rules so they were only open three nights maybe four nights a week doing only what they wanted to do and so the whole thing is what when we did the pearl i wanted it to be more open So I wanted music, I wanted cabaret, I wanted theater. And the good thing is that Frank and Glenn both wanted that too. Right. So, but again, my role there was strictly as a photographer to start off with. And then as we went, I started helping, you know, with the marketing, with the developing shows. But the, honestly, the problem was I was busy with Ferrari. Gotcha. Yeah, so I was, I mean, even in Tokyo, I, one, one year I was doing 80 shoot days in Tokyo alone at the racetrack for all their driving schools and private events, right. plus also looking after the Ferrari Challenging, uh, Ferrari Challenge Racing in Asia, which was six different countries. Wow. You know, and then eventually in the final year, they added on me shooting North American League. So I was right. shooting all of Asia, all of North America, <laughs> and their driving schools and everything else. And it was wonderful. It was yes. great. Yeah. But, 
you know, there was there wasn't anyone at the parole really to take care of the overall the marketing, the concept, the the artists, and everything else. And yes. that's kind of also at that time was when they went through a big upheaval in in China. There was a a scandal with a very famous uh, live live venue. I don't want to mention it, but the agency they were using had got caught that they were bringing in performers under performance visas actually as prostitutes not as performers right right and that's when everything kind of the shit hit the fan mm, here yes, yes. and the government came down hard on all music venues on all performers everything else and the funny thing it wasn't a change of rules it was just eventually going back to enforcing the rules that have always been there right. and unfortunately my opinion after learning so much over the years those rules are based on probably 30 years ago where you yes. had a foreign band would come to china they'd perform at a hotel for six months and wouldn't do anything else yes unfortunately now you know there aren't aren't gigs like that there are no gigs where you go and play at one venue yes normally and so you've got a lot of artists who are moving and playing from performance to performance to performance just to trying to survive yes because i mean there's as you know there's not a lot of money that's right being a performer here in <laughs> shanghai right. and so by them actually starting to enforce those rules it became prohibitive for me to create concerts or shows because it would take six to seven weeks to get the license for one night show and we were, couldn't legally sell tickets until we had that license to show to the ticketing companies. Gotcha, yeah. So we'd have to create a show 12 weeks in advance. And that just became impossible because, you know, no offense to an artist is, hey, if they get a better gig, they're, they're gone. Right? That's right, that's right. You know, and trying to plan with an artist to do a show in 12 weeks from now, forget <laughs> about it. So it was kind of a key changing point in my life. And with the Pearl was, one, I'd done 10 years with Ferrari. I loved it. I had a blast. But I was getting burned out on right. that side. And also on the Pearl side, things were not going well. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, Pearl, there was really no kind of future with the way the Pearl was operating. So it was like trying to one or the other, right? Yes. Right. And I have to say I am very fortunate. I have a wife with a nice job, <laughs> you know, an expat job. I'm an expat spouse. And so the house and apartments taken care of. And she's very understanding. And when I asked her, I said, do you mind if I not earn any revenue or a salary for the next probably two, three, four, maybe five years, you know, and just go full in on the pearl. She said, please do it because if you don't, you'll be bitching and complaining for the rest of your life when you could have, should have, would have done. Should have, could have. So yes. yeah, so shut up and just go do it. Yes. And so with her encouragement and with, you know, deciding I, Ferrari, I'd done all I could do at Ferrari. And with the changing of the ways things work in China, I decided 100% to go to, to Pearl. Yes. And the number one thing was then to find a band. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I interviewed every band in town. Plus, I knew hundreds of musicians as it is. But yes. none of them were really along the lines that I foresaw what I wanted the Pearl to become. Right. But after, I think it was like four or five months, I have to really do a shout out and say thank you to Cassandra from Inferno, the heavy metal bar. Yes. Because she had found, she had, had met this band who were working in Kunshan, a Russian band who were really hard rockers, who had wanted to perform at their original, or their second Inferno bar that had a stage. But again, they couldn't deal with a full-time band. Yes. With licensing and everything else. 
anyway, she put me in contact with Senya, and Senya and I talked for weeks or months, and and we're really in the process of doing it. And finally, my son, uh, Jeremy the Pearl Penguin from <laughs> from New Zealand, he was our juggler host and just a crazy guy with Kingfisher penguin hair. It was brilliant. <laughs> And uh, Chad Romero, who was our our Aussie crooner, who I had originally met doing a David Bowie tribute show. Right. And after that point, I had to hire him for it. Anytime we did like Elvis or 50s rock or David Bowie or disco, he's the ultimate crooner on stage. Right. It's just, oh, an amazing performer. You just can't f- help but fall in love with a guy. <laughs> So, anyways, I took them as you know, you know, personal to help me with my decision making, whatnot, and we went out there to Kunshan, which is a couple hours out of Shanghai. Yeah. Um, but before I went, I sent them a very strange song list right. I wanted to hear and to test them out, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> I I warned them that if they were going to come to the Pearl, that they would have to do things they'd not necessarily want to do. Yes. Which included ABBA and <laughs> Michael Jackson and some disco songs and some, some Maroon 5, some pop songs. But along well, as too, as I, of course, I love Kiss. I want to hear Kiss. Come on. I saw that they had did a Holy Diver by Dio, which is a nice. huge favorite of mine that brings me back to high school. Um, and I also some other some other good rocking songs. Like I wanted Nirvana, I wanted yes. uh, Lincoln Park, classic, all these yeah, other ones. Yeah. So we went out there, and uh, they were great. I mean, my God, they just they really rocked it. But I'll have to say that the one point was when my son and I, we looked at each other and he goes, Dad, that's your band, right? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, because Alex jumped off the stage onto a customer's table during ABBA and did a guitar <laughs> solo and Dancing Queen or something. And I just went, oh, my God. Wow. These guys can take ABBA and rock it. <laughs> and so I'm like, I think, I think this is it. They, these are the guys. Yeah. And you took them, you brought them to Shanghai, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right away. And so they've been with the pearl now over two years two and a half years right now and just watching him play like you know you were coming up to me a couple of times and i was like commented on how powerful uh exania's uh vocals are like i actually went to a a acdc show uh 2019 Mm. you know they had the uh, brian johnson they had uh bon scott it was great they had the different eras and then Xenia walks out and it's like, huh? Huh? <laughs> a girl's going to sing Bon Scott? And, um, and it was like, you know what? This isn't too bad. This is actually pretty, really good. <laughs> and uh, I was just shocked. At, she's got that real deep voice that um, she's nailing. Like They did the full set of Linkin Park and Disturbed and System of the Down and... Even last night with uh, the acoustic, uh, they're doing Soundgarden. There's some really amazing singers in in that sort of set that they played. Nailed it. Yeah. No problem. So kudos to her. She's, you know. And that's the thing. You know, I'm just really so proud of this band. Mm. You know, to see also they've evolved and changed over the last few years. Become much more of a show and, you know, confident. Yes. Because they have this crowd that's cheering them on, so the confidence within the band is really growing. Yes. Two, he's like, you know, I put a challenge to them, and they always they always exceed my expectations. I mean, for her to do Led Zeppelin, yeah. when they did Led Zeppelin, and I mean, 
she came to me a few times going, really? She goes, like, how much drugs were these guys on? And I said, well, obviously, they did a lot of drugs, you know, yes. with the music they made. And, I mean, because she goes, this guy's singing. It's just like, whoa, 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 all over the place. But, my God, when she first did Cashmere, yes. eight and a half minutes long and strong, I had tears in my eyes, had mm. goosebumps. I was just like, man, once again, they nailed it. A proud papa, right? Yeah, exactly. Proud Papa G. That's yes. right. They all call me Papa G. Absolutely. <laughs> so what did they do in that period? I, I heard that there's rumors that they're actually starting to do some uh, original songs now. Is that yes. Right? Yes. That's really exciting. Mm. I'm really, also, I'm really thankful. Last year, Gilles joined the, the group as a drummer. Right. So it's actually per, uh, the Pearl Red Stars 2.0 now. Right. And it's definitely so much more, it's so much fun. I mean, Gilles, as you saw him, he's hilarious. Yeah, that's right. The banter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, he gets him going. You can talk in Chinese, get him going in French, Belgian, English, whatever. Yes. Plus, you know, in the middle of something, he'll just start beatboxing. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes after the show, him and Alex will just beatbox and riff for another 20, 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. You don't know where they're going, but it's a great journey yeah, along sure. the way. And so professional as well. It's like I, I could never imagine. I've never done it myself to be playing five, six months a, a week. It, you know, very professional how they sort of get up there and just do it. That's the thing. They're, they're really monsters. Like, mm. I mean, you might see them four nights a week, but I know they're working seven days a week. Yes. Yeah, true. You know, I know it. Like, they're always at home on their own working over every single song. And we, when we plan out, we have meetings about every, let's say, three to four weeks. Mm. We plan out shows two to three months in advance yeah. so that they can figure out how to get to that point. Right. So they're doing what the the Lincoln Park, mm. a an acoustic set, yeah. grunge, yeah. but but you've also got other other sort of uh, shows as well. So you want to tell us uh, a bit more about that, these shows? Well, yeah. I mean, again, we we got ABBA, we do discos. Yeah. With, we actually do a really great disco show with drag queens. All right. So full-on disco with drag queens doing their thing and that on, yes. the, on the floor, getting people going, which is a riot. And you're really involved with that, that sort of like the, the performance and the show, right? Yeah. My, my strength has always been, even in the previous days with MTV, is the producer role. Right. You know, I've got a creative side, but I know the business side. Gotcha. So I work closely with the artists to work on the ideas and the concept and, you know, figure out how to tweak it to make it sell. Because yes. at the end of the day, you can do a great show. That's but if right. nobody comes, who cares, right? That's right. So I love all the crazy artists I work with and whatnot. And often I have to kind of rein them in a little bit to say, okay, guys, we have to get it within this box that people can understand. Yes. Um, especially, too, because now we're selling more and more to locals. Yes. And, that. and so we have to also tailor something with what will they understand that they'll come to see. And I was very shocked too because I thought it would be predominantly, especially for the Lincoln Park, it'd be mm. predominantly like expats, but right. that's not true. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. so it's it was maybe 50, maybe more Chinese, like you yeah. said with a previous show, is that you're getting 80, 90% Chinese, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, again, this is where this year has been a really breakout year for us. Yes. Because the local 20 to 30-year-old Chinese, they can't go to Mercedes and see a big band, so they're looking yeah. what else is going on in town. And I like to think because the quality of the performers and the artists we have and the shows that we create, yes. they keep coming back. Yeah. And what I love, too, is with this new generation, 
all you know 250 Chinese there are selling my next show because everyone's taking photos and videos and posting and all this stuff that that's the best marketing team I have absolutely yes. you know For sure. and yes like saying about the the Chinese who is Every second week, we do a Adele Ed Sheeran show. Right. With the, oh, you met Dave Stone last night. Yes. Ozzy or that, but he's a bit of a ginger. So it was <laughs> his idea, even though he's not necessarily a big Ed Sheeran guy. Yes. He's a rocker. Yes. But he said this show could sell. And then with Senya, who nails that Adele, those two, it works out to be the perfect show. Yeah, right. And I mean, I think we've done, We've been selling out that show every Wednesday since, I think, September last year. Wow. Every second Wednesday. That's amazing. So, yeah, we get 200 Chinese, mostly uh, young ones and mostly women. Yes. And they come in. We do an early show so they can be there from 8 till 10 and catch the train home. Right. Amazing. And also, uh, I want to talk about the, the Queen show. Because Queen's, uh, you know, the last, uh, ever since the movie came out a couple of years ago now, Queen has been very, very popular in China. So you've actually got a show there as well, right? Yep. Who is Freddie? Freddie, well, actually, we've got a really, this is the thing with our band. Our band is the core band. And then depending on the shows, I add in other performers right. that really work together. Yes. So for like Yabba, we'll bring in extra singers to, you know, to have the full line out front. With Queen, uh, we actually started the, the show a few years ago, just before the movie came out, actually, before right. we even knew the movie was coming out. Right. So that team was different. Uh, that team, we had Rion, who was from Trinidad, and then we had Chad Romero, the Aussie, who was, again, the <laughs> drama and all of that. Yes. And, uh, and that show went really well. Uh, really great, and especially... After the movie came out, it just exploded. Oh, yes. But then, you know, COVID happened, and I lost both of them. They're gone. They both couldn't come back in. So we were lucky and fortunate. We were in the COVID off time when we were doing some private events. We did some Broadway shows, and right. we ran into a few really talented singers. And we found this fellow named Trenton, and he's just incredible. Yes. He's incredible. So... What I like is the fact that we've got the band and we got Senya, who you know is a rocker. Yes. And then we've got Trenton, who is more flamboyant. Yes. And very <laughs> Freddy. And he has a total, you know, the Put look and the persona on stage and the voice. And then the, it makes, again, the perfect combination where you got those two together on stage and they can hit every single mm -hmm. song and just perfect. And... I, I, yeah, this, I think it's because, again, because of COVID and everything else going on, that show just doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, every time you think, oh, it's going to be slow, boom, we sell it out. Okay, we'll do it again in six weeks. Boom, we sold it out. Yeah. Boom, we sold it out. And it's just, it just keeps going. It keeps going. It's incredible. That's right. Really and I'm real. so proud of the team. And knowing that, they keep adding more songs. Right. Because this is what I love about the band and their creativity is they, they, I mean, they get bored, and they yes, know that right. you know, and uh, they also don't want the audience to get bored because we have so many people who come back show after show yes. after show, Repeat. and they bring their friends. So we, we, you know, actually not so much we, it's them. Uh, this is what I love and respect about them is they realize they need to keep things going. That's right. So they'll come up with ideas and this, and so the last Queen show, they added on a couple of uh, Hammer to Fall, or that, and but the coolest thing was Trenton. <laughs> it was actually Senya's idea. She had Trenton come out and the woman dragged from I Want to Break Free uh -huh. as a housewife with a black skirt and a vacuum cleaner. 
<laughs> and they didn't even tell me about it. Right. They just said, we have a surprise for you. I'm like, I'm, sometimes Uh-oh. I don't like surprises, you know, because I'm like, eh, but they know enough not to cross, you know, a certain line. Yes. But it came out and huge repl- response from everybody. Yeah. Because, right. I mean, you've seen that iconic video, you know. Yes. <laughs> and it just comes out for one song and it's just, oh, it's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. So cool. And also, uh, last night, I uh, met the uh, the team of uh, Burlesque Dancers. Mm. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that show as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I always have a thing for Burlesque and Cabaret. That yes. goes back to the history of Chinatown. Yes. When we were open as Pearl, there was a really famous, outstanding Burlesque dancer called Anna Philaxis from London. Right. So she was one of our headliner stars when we did some burlesque cabaret shows with uh, the Pearl, and she started the Shanghai School of Burlesque. Right. And so she took it upon herself to actually start promoting burlesque here. We had a little bit more freedom back then, I must admit. <laughs> um, when I look at the photos I took seven years ago, six years ago of the shows we had, I'm like going, oh, God, we couldn't do that now. <laughs> Because right. it was also before social media when everybody was on WeChat taking photos and videos right. and posting. It was just me taking the photos, which we used sparingly where yes. we could. Yes. So what ended up happening is, so Anna's full-on burlesque tassels, you know, gorgeous, everything else, uh, but was a solo artist. And what she did is she teamed up with a, another amazing talent, Cara, from Ireland that you met last night. Yes. And so Cara is much more uh, cabaret. And, sh- and or a troop like a troop kind of performer yes. uh, amazing talent creative talent and so those two teamed up and it became really good because you'd have one who's creating the cabaret and the troupe and then you'd have Anna who's creating the solo artists the performers who then also was working with another really talented drag king uh, her name was Ennis don't even remember her real name but her stage name as a man was Ennis yes. and it was just an amazing kind of team mm. working together Anna then eventually left, and then Car- Carrie, who's an amazing and herself too, burlesque performer who right. always mad at me when she can't use tassels, <laughs> you know. But uh, what can you do? We're in China, but and so those two have now teamed up, and they changed the name to the Silk Room Burlesque and Cabaret School. Right, and those ladies are just incredible. Yeah, and I love it because they're all about woman empowerment. Yes, um, it's all about taking people with talent and. And just get, letting them be a star on stage. And the one thing that we were, uh, they were talking about was is that it's not just your skinny stereotype, you know? Completely. Yeah. yeah. So, like, full body, you know, it doesn't matter what size you are. If you can get up and perform, be a good performer, go for it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's also one of the kind of really key and important guiding principles for me when it comes to the Pearl mm-hmm. is full inclusion. Yes. I mean, this is a place where if you're if you're brave enough and talented enough to get up on the stage, praise you. Because, I mean, I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, that's why I've always been the cameraman or the video guy. I'm behind the camera. Yes. I'm no good in front of the camera yeah. or on stage. So I praise anybody that's talented enough to do it. And I, and, and, and they're, the thing is, they're all so good. Yes. You know, honestly, you, you watch these people up on stage and you just, this is brilliant. And they're loving it. So you love it. Yes. That's the other thing is, you know, you know, I work with a lot of other talented professional dancers, you know, Russians and whatnot that are amazing and talented in their own sake. But, you know, they're the showgirl style. Right. But then you see the passion and energy to come up with these just as talented dancers. Yes. But they all have, you know, their day job, but they do this out of passion. And you watch them on stage and you just can't help but be infected by them and go, wah! Yes. And, yeah. and it's incredible. When they, 
unfortunately, because of, you know, certain regulations, we can't necessarily do full shows, but we do, you know, some private events with their school. Right. And, and those days are just incredible because you've got 200 friends and family cheering them on and it's just right. 100% love. Yeah, right. You know, and it's, it's amazing. You can feel the passion with them and with you as well like yeah with their performances that that's absolutely great and uh, one thing that you mentioned to me also is that you i don't know if you did before a magic mic or are you going to do a magic mic is that on the cards or yeah magic mic is kind of on hold at the moment it was (laughs) that's another one of those ones that sells really well but uh it's kind of in the gray area right so yeah that's off unfortunately that's off the calendar for the time being right we're kind of working through how we can do that apparently the problem with the magic mic we were actually told is that because we're the only ones doing it successful at it right that's why we shouldn't be doing it so other clubs out there start doing magic mic and then we can do it (laughs) come on guys what are you doing come on (laughs) Uh, you were saying is that that's like about 80 90 percent uh chinese chinese girls right? chinese girls yeah yeah wow and actually the funny thing about that that we get a lot of guys coming and a lot of expat guys coming with friends yeah. because the show itself is so entertaining right we've got coco santi who's our bearded drag queen host that hosts most of our big events who is hilarious saucy yes. everything you want to the host yes and then the, the dancers, performers are just spectacular. They're really talented. And they kept you know, raising the bar too. Like, unfortunately, just before we kind of stopped doing the shows, we were getting duels doing um, pole dancing. Wow. So two guys up there doing a pole dance performance, interacting with, with customers. That, and I mean, the performance was a 10-minute long performance. Yeah. With them back and forth and battling on the pole and stuff like that. So the show itself is an incredible show. Plus, as guys, you're sitting there with 200 screaming women. Yeah, it's like, wow, this is pretty fun. This is yeah, not bad. Cool. Not a bad gig. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So there you go, guys. You know, lots of different entertainment at the Pearl. So if you get a chance to, uh, or if you're visiting Shanghai, get down here. And also, like in terms of the future, uh, yeah. you're talking like uh, about maybe expanding to maybe more than one pool uh you know is that something in the future maybe it's it's always been kind of a dream and a goal of us yeah biggest news we have is after three four years now of working hard at it the pearl has finally achieved full chinese agency status right so that means that allows us to actually license any venue or any artist or any show anywhere in china that will also allow us to, when the doors do reopen in one, maybe two years, we can also bring in any artist or performer we want under our own visa. Right. So, yeah, that opens up huge opportunities for us. And it's been our long-term goal, which is also a big reason why I decided that was the time for me to get into the Pearl. Because let's plan this out and let's yes. really go after something. Yes. So now with that license, yeah, it, and also it helps me because we do have, we have, oh God, I'm thinking it's what, 16? It might even be, actually we're coming up to almost 20 artists now under our visa, right. under our license. So we've got, you know, we've got the band, we've got solo original songwriter artists too, like Dave Stone, Mark Wengelski, I can never say the name right. <laughs> um, we've got drag, some drag queen artists. We've got cabaret dancers, uh, choreographers, aerial performers, pole performers, all under our 
on our light on our visa. So now we can also help them license them for other venues. Right. Which you know, I also want to help them get more job, more yes. work, more exposure. Because that that's one thing that I was sort of thinking of talking about, like with Red Stars mm. wanting to go and play in different sort of venues, right? Yes. And do a bit of a tour. We're hoping for that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and this is this is the thing now with the COVID situation, without other touring bands coming in, yeah. we're hoping that that's a new opportunity for us. Right. Exactly, is maybe we can take the Red Stars on a tour doing their Lincoln Park show or yeah. the Dallas show or possibly even a Queen show or something like that. I'm still looking into the legal aspects because I, I, you know, working in Japan so long with, uh, with MTV and that I... I know and respect all the fact that you pay to an entity to that eventually hopefully gets to the artists right. if the record companies don't take too much. Yes. But from what I can understand, there's no governing body in China for international artists. There is for the Chinese artists, there's the Chinese Artists Association or Mus- Musicians Association. Yes. And of course, you know, we pay to, you pay to that, but I can't seem to find anything for international artists. Because, of course, if there's a way to pay, I 100% want the artists who made the music, I want to pay them. But yeah, saying that, so far we haven't been able to find it. So I just want to be sure that legally we're okay to do this. Yes. And then we, yeah, we're hoping to create shows and tour China if we can. Yes. But the band's certainly good enough for it. And they, they want, you know, new challenges. Yes. And then I think where you're going to go with this is, yes, so we're looking at music festivals. <laughs> which, that was my next question. Yeah, I <laughs> That's a long-term goal from days back in Tokyo doing the, yeah. you know, always going to the rock, Fuji Rock Festival oh, and things yes. like that. But it's it's such a huge market that's just waiting to be tapped into. <clears throat> like 1.3 billion people. Like if you could get some international bands to start off and then that, that hopefully that could create a sort of a snowball effect. We get getting more bands. Because like Metallica, for mm. example, they... They've been here twice now, mm. and you know I've got a, a a good relationship with them. And they they said that they had to submit every single song to the government. They had to give all their lyrics, and then they weren't allowed to play two of their biggest hits, One yeah. and Master of Puppets. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just the way the way it is. So, do you think in the future that yeah. uh, like the uh, it'll sort of change for the better? Uh, I doubt it because and I mean the thing is there's also a history of why these things are um, I have to say the big the biggest setback I think we had here uh, for foreign performers in China was Bjork right. uh, years back uh, it must be about 13 years ago uh, Bjork got up on stage in Beijing and like free Tibet and oh, dear. I mean basically being a self-righteous yeah. immature ignorant person to do something like that why and what because by doing that okay maybe she looks good to her and her buddies and her friends but you just ruined the lives of every foreign artist in china at that time and every future artist who ever comes here is now screwed thanks to your actions yeah i mean i remember at that time all my dj friends and musicians everybody just you know shrunk down because the government came down hard on everybody. Even DJs were getting harassed by what are you playing? Nobody could play even DJ playing Bjork. Nobody really cared anyway. <laughs> Let's face it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not in the clubs I went to anyway. Uh, but yeah, it became a really difficult thing. Yes. Yeah, it was the same way with the Rolling Stones too because 
you know, sign uh, Bernard Fowler from them too. They got they couldn't play a few different songs. Wow. You know. Yeah, it's just crazy. Um, but it is what it is. Let's face the facts. This is their country, you their land. Res- yeah, you got to respect the the rules and regulations and culture and. Yeah. yeah so. I mean, yeah. I, I still say kudos to the government because they've got a tough job ahead of them. With Absolutely. The the huge population they have and different political issues and in this and that and ah, overall, you know, for us as foreigners, it kind of you know we don't fully understand. But again, it's not our country, yeah. so we have to respect their rules, how they're doing things. And let's face it, things are pretty much are doing pretty well here. Yeah. See, and especially during COVID, <laughs> that's the whole thing. We cannot complain anything yes. that we're here doing what we love during a time where the rest of the world has screwed it up royally, yeah. especially North you know, America, and nobody can perform anywhere. Yeah, that's right. It's brutal. I was telling you, I had an interview with a country and western band in Australia, and they're, they're doing shows now, and when they play at a club, you have to buy a table, you have to sit down, you can't stand up, and you can't sing, because it projects, <laughs> I don't know, saliva, I don't know, right. someone. so they've got this really silly, but, but they can have 40,000 people across the road at the football stadium watching rugby league. No way! <laughs> so... Um, oh. There's some interesting rules going around there, but uh, let's hope that sort of we get a vaccine and that it continues on. So speaking of that, uh, you're probably a really good guy to talk to. I'm always interested to find out about the Shanghai like music scene. I mean, Mm. I know you're just Pearl is your sort of your baby, but uh, in in general, like, have you seen sort of differences uh, like in the in the music scene, like? Well, uh, unlike in Japan, I'm not really in involved so much in the underground music scene here. Right. Just because you know I was busy with Ferrari and now I'm busy with Pearl. I never yeah. I never get outside the Pearl anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I would look forward to the holidays, and then it ended up all the live houses were shut down for holidays. <laughs> I'm like Jesus! Right. But right. one week to go around, I couldn't go see anybody. Yeah. But no, there's a lot going on here. Unfortunately, I, I maybe it's just me. I haven't been able to come across a lot of. Uh, underground, like a really Chinese artist um, in Beijing. Whenever I go to Beijing, I've always got, been able to find really cool clubs there right. and really check out some really cool Chinese rock and rollers. Yes. Here, I know there are some. I just really haven't come across them. I seem to be, I don't know why, but too tied in maybe with the foreigners. Like, too cause, busy. Yeah, because I, you know, I always want to support the people I know. Yeah. So you've got, of course, one of my favorite artist bands here is the Cotton Club. Uh, blues bar on Fuxing Lu and my favorite hangout place and that place is legendary of course till the government decided they wanted to take back the property and that was just up the road from the original Jay-Z club and they took that back as well and it kind of killed that whole scene now didn't you find Dave there like the uh Dave yeah actually I met Dave Sloan originally at the I was shooting the Australian Pavilion during Expo in 2010 and he was their headline performer there and then he started yeah performing at Cotton Club and then he was a mainstay at Cotton Club right and that's when we really started to bond was you know Cotton Club and whatnot so he's like the Angus Young now of your tribute yes totally totally (laughs) so cool dresses up in the the whole uh, schoolboy uniform yeah but, the... but I, I, what I really love about him is, one, he, he adapts and he's really good at that. Yeah. But his original music is 
Freaking stellar. Yes. I mean, I still, when you get a chance, you got to listen to his original White Scorpion. Right. How one man can do that much with a guitar and a, and a stomp pedal and sing and everything else. I'm like, every time I have to stop what I'm doing and just watch him. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Truly. Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears now. Let's go back to to you now, uh, mm. personally. So you grew up, I do believe you grew up in Alberta, Canada. Yes. And it says Red Deer. I'm not yeah. too familiar <laughs> with, red, with Red Deer. So can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? And um, Yeah, Red Deer, well, was a small town. I think when we moved there... When I was one years old, it was 20,000. Now it's over 100,000. Right. There's Calgary in the south and Edmonton in the north. And we're halfway in between. So we're kind of a convention town. It's a cowboy town. Yes. A lot of oil money because there's a lot of oil money there. Yeah. Is that the close to Calgary Stampede? I mean, yeah, yeah. 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 We're, it's an hour and a half drive from the Calgary Stampede. Right. We have our own Stampede. We have the Westerner Days. Oh, which come are, on. Yeah. Go with Dad <laughs> watching the chuck wagon races. and Yes. And the, the horse bronking and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. And, you know, go hockey games whenever we could. Right. That's Very, kind of the way you grow up. Yeah, and hockey, uh, hockey in the stampede. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was great because uh, it wasn't a, a big city, so it was, you know, more family. You knew a lot of people in town. It was safe, yeah. always safe. And the best thing was we weren't far from the mountains. So right. every weekend we could, my dad would round us all up and into a trailer or a tent and we'd spend a weekend or up to maybe two weeks in the mountains alone, wow. just fishing or maybe finding a place to ride horses, yeah. horseback riding way into the mountains. And that's it was so, just amazing. That's I, so cool. I couldn't be happier than spending time in the mountains and just playing in the puddles with <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah. So were, were, your, were your mom and dad, were they sort of a part of the entertainment industry or was that something that you just sort of... Uh, oh, completely just... removed. No. <laughs> no? Yeah, no, I was the youngest by 11 years, so my brother and sister is far older than, than I am. So right. I honestly feel lucky in that I grew up with five parents. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my, my one brother, he was kind of the wild one yes. of the family, and he kind of got me to feel like the rock and roll and this and that. And right. my other brother, who, you know, became a biologist, he was a serious one of the family, and also spent a lot of time also taking me out camping and he taught me a lot of you know core values. When my sister was the the creative one of the family, who was the artist, and she always spent time with me as a little kid, teaching me to draw and this and that. Right. And would you know? I'd sneak into her room late at night, and she'd read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings to me. <laughs> and my mother would come in, and go get back to bed. And so you know, with them, and then my my mother is like the all loving, amazing mother that. You can't, I mean, a lot of people say this, but you just can't have a, a nicer mother who's grounded and caring and just a real mother, right? Yes. And then my father, who is business. Right. He was a business guy. Right. Um, him and my mom started off in a farmers, as farmers, but bent, went bankrupt when they were young. Uh-huh. And my father then said, you know, this will never happen again. Mm-hmm. And he decided to really get focused into business and got into real estate mm-hmm. and did very well for himself. And, you know, but he, that was his obsession. He just wanted to make sure that he kept the family safe financially. And, you know, we didn't see him as much as we would like to, as anybody would like to, but he kept the family safe. And he really taught me growing up about business, about ethics and this and that. Because trust me, I could be really wealthy right now with the different things I've done (laughs) if I didn't have his damn ethics, you (laughs) know, you know, you never cross that line. Yes. 
Absolutely. And then going to school, like, is this when you started to sort of music? Was that your brother's influence? Did you say? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, all my brothers, my brothers and sisters all listened to different music. And actually, it all affected me because... You know, my sister was all, of course, Neil Diamond, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> my uh, other brother, uh, Vance, he was more into, like, uh, Super Tramp. Right. And, you know, a lot of that really good stuff. Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. And same with my other brother. He was on the rock side. So, I mean, me as a little kid, I, I would always sit and play their 8-track tapes. Yeah. I don't know if you remember these big, awful 8-track tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd listen to on their A-track tapes after they would they left the house, right? Because right. they all off went off to college and whatnot. Yes. So I would just have their stack of A-track tapes and just play it all the time. And it really gave me, I really got heavy into music. It was just mm. something I always loved. Yes. I had no musical talent. I mean, when I was young, I wanted to learn guitar. And my parents took me to accordion lessons and said, once you learn the accordion, you can learn guitar. And after three months, I just screw this. I'm sorry. <laughs> But that was before, I, you know, Weird Al Yankovic, who came from near my hometown. All right. Yeah, he's from Edmonton or that. Right. Yeah, it was before he became a big star. They were like, oh, man, I could have became a accordion star like Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> but, yeah, so I really have no music ability other than I really like music. Yes. And I think one of the key things of growing up with a family I did, of having all these parents, is that my number one talent I feel is that I'm good at bridging the creative world and the business world. And that's always been the big strength of mine. And it really did change going from high school. When I, high school, I was really nobody. I was a, the headbanger with long hair. <laughs> but the strange thing is I was the headbanger with long hair who always got straight A's right. in math and everything else. Because, you know, my father and them, they taught me, you got to work, you got to work. Yes. But I still love the headbanging image. <laughs> but when I went to the college, it was kind of... A wake-up call for me to change who I was because I was always kind of the the geeky headbanger at the back of the class and had the guys I hung around with but I wasn't the cool guy at all yes. uh, but when I went to college I said you know what this is my chance to change who I am I'm walking to a new college nobody knows who I am and I want to be different so as soon as I jumped in I got involved with student politics right. got involved with this and that and then started you know doing social planning social events and started being the guy who I always wanted to be. Right. And bullshitted my way into it. That, hey, I can do this. I can organize a concert. I can blah, blah, blah. And that's what I ended up doing is I ended up booking bands into our local college. Right. And then, you know, started creating bigger and bigger events. I mean, the biggest one I did at the college was we actually rented the, the local um, hockey arena. And we did a Halloween party for 2,500 people. Our college was only 800 people, right? but we brought in some, some big bands at the time, a Canadian band, UB, uh, UB40, yes, and had them play with some local bands, wow. and no, I put it all together, and we, yeah, it was, it was incredible. That's really, really cool. Um, and then uh, a fortunate story I had, which was the, you know, one of the most famous Canadian, truly Canadian bands of the last few generations was the Tragically Hip. Yes. And I, they were actually the first band I ever booked into the Red Deer College back in 87. Right. And it was just before they really kind of took off in Canada. And every year I went back, it was usually they had a, a show going on. So we'd always end up going to some, you know, it was called Another Roadside Attraction. Right. And we'd always go and see them. And then a couple of years ago when sadly he was diagnosed with brain cancer, 
I mean, this guy's just amazing. And he, you know, instead of going internally, he wanted one last tour of Canada. Right. And he united all of Canada under under the tragically hip. And yeah. he toured Canada and as and he as he was starting to lose it, you know, mm. his capabilities and he was really fighting all the way to the end, yeah. the last concert. But it was amazing for me that I flew my son back to Canada and flew all my nieces and nephews into Calgary. And my brothers and sisters were not allowed. It was just me and all the kids because it was one time where, you know, I'd been away from Canada all this time for 30 years now. Yeah. That was my time for my nieces and nephews, for all of us to hang out and have fun over a bonding thing of Tragically Hip that they all knew and loved. Yeah. So we had the greatest weekend ever. And for me, it was <laughs> a complete closure yes. too. For, you know, I saw them in the early stages, saw them at the very end and, you know, we're all in the stands weeping and that. It was wow. an emotional thing, but it was incredible. One of the yeah. top experiences of my life, I think, I'd yeah, have to say, really. Absolutely. Yeah, they've been around for a, around for a long time, actually. And they, I don't know if they come to Australia, but yeah, one of the, one of the biggest ones to come out of Canada, definitely. Yeah, and the thing is about them, they stayed Canada. Like, they yes. had no, they could have broke into the U.S. and stuff yes. like that, but they wanted to stay Canada. Yeah. And, and their lyrics are all about Canada and everything else, and so it was really true to our heart. That's great. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor-burn-free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.